Hey, this is Chris. Before we get to the show, let me tell you a little bit about Anchor. Anchor is our way of we record podcasts. Fantastic. Let me tell you why. It's easy. It's free. There are creation tools that we can record and edit your podcast right from your phone and your computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you. So it can be heard on such um, providers as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many, many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need in a podcast and so much more. Check out Anchor, and you can find it all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Anchor, it's a fantastic way of creating your first podcast and making it work. Hi, everybody. Welcome to our midweek devotion. Thank you so much for watching or listening, depending on how you're accessing it. Uh, either way, so glad that you're here as we come and uh, spend a few moments together in the Word of God. And today we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. So if you have your Bible, you're welcome to turn there with me as we go through 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. And before we begin, let me just pray for us. Lord, thank you for today. For your word, we thank you for the opportunity to open our hearts in this moment, uh, for you to speak to us, to mold us and shape us into the likeness of Christ. So, Lord, we humble ourselves before you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I pray that you are doing well and your week is going well. I know that uh, at least here in the Pittsburgh area, uh, spring seems to be in the air, hopefully. Uh, we know that as vaccines roll out, uh, life looks like it might be getting back to normal soon. So lots of reason for optimism, but among them all, uh, a new day where we can know and experience the love and grace of Jesus. Uh, nothing better than that. But uh, again, if you have your Bible, you're welcome to join me in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Where the Apostle Paul writes, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. So let me just pause there and get us caught up on what Paul is saying here. Um, it, it's interesting that in the passage beforehand, Paul is talking about the divisions that were happening within the Corinthian church. Uh, some people were following Paul, some people were following Apollos, uh, some people were following Cephas, and the super spiritual in the group were saying, well, we follow Christ. Um, and so there's all of this tension, uh, people debating over who they should follow, who they should listen to. But in verse 17, it says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. And it's in that thought that Paul picks up this case that he's making for the fact that the word of the cross is folly, to those who are perishing. Now, just think about the pure logistics of it, okay? We have been called as followers of Jesus to go into the world and tell the world 
that what happened 2,000 years ago to a Jewish carpenter can today in 2021 bring us forgiveness of sins and the assurance of eternal life. Nothing crazy about that, is there? Uh, Paul's saying here, it's an absolutely absurd message when you think about it. Uh, it is absolute foolishness from the world's perspective to think, how did some action of some religious teacher 2,000 years ago, how does this have anything to do with us? Uh, and even here for the Corinthians, as he's debating here, this was a far more recent event for them. But still, the message of the cross is foolishness, because you think about how the world operates. The world operates, at least in our day, very much in this system of nothing in life is free. Uh, if you want something, you have to work for it. Uh, there's no handouts. You have to earn or deserve what you get, uh, even as you walk through the mall and come across different kiosks in the mall, and somebody offers you something that's too good to be true. And we've been trained to identify that if something sounds too good to be true, that's because it probably is too good to be true. And so here we're called to preach this message that there's nothing that you can do. There's nothing you need to do to earn the forgiveness of your sins. There's nothing you can do or need to do to ensure that you have a place in heaven. The only thing that you're called to do is to surrender, to receive Jesus Christ, to believe in Jesus Christ, who died on the cross and rose from the dead for your sins. Paul's identifying that's a little weird for most people, uh, for people who don't have a, a Christian perspective. It's a bizarre message to preach. Now, many sociologists uh, from a religious perspective are saying that we are closer to the first century in terms of a society than we ever have been since the first century. Because in the first century, here as Paul is addressing the Corinthians, he's dealing with a world that really doesn't have a Christian foundation or any kind of Christian background. And in the Western world, we now once again find ourselves in a position where a growing proportion of our culture does not have a religious background or a Christian background or even any general understanding of who Jesus is. Uh, I spent a lot of years in Cleveland doing street ministry and was overwhelmed, especially in talking to teenagers and college-age students, if you ask them, do you know who Jesus is? To that, it was like, yeah, I've heard of him. But when you ask the question, do you know what Jesus did for you? They literally had absolutely no idea. They don't know anything about Jesus dying on the cross. And this isn't something for us to look at the culture or look at this generation and kind of shake our heads or furrow our brows and say that there's something wrong with them. Uh, it's not their fault. Uh, we are in a culture that is drifting away from, I mean, you think about years ago where it was just assumed that either you went to church or you knew the basics of Christianity. And that is no longer the case, and increasingly so in our culture. And so we now have to go to this culture in this world that does not have a, a gospel-centered frame of reference and try to explain to them that 
a Jewish carpenter died on the cross, and so now they can be forgiven of their sins. They can have a new and different life, and they can be assured of going to heaven. That may sound so basic and simple to a lot of us, but to a lot of our culture, there's a lot of those statements that make absolutely no sense at all. Um, eternal life, um, what is that? Uh, don't we just return to dust and cease to exist after we die? Uh, any fact of being brought into a right relationship with God, who is God? Uh, how do you know there is a God? There, there's so many questions now that... Are, we have to address that we didn't have to address just a few generations ago. And uh, we can fret about it, we can fuss about it, but it's not going to change the reality that the culture is what it is. So, again, as Paul said, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But for those of us who are being saved, it's everything. Uh, it's the power of God. It is everything to us. And everything about the kingdom of God, everything about the gospel is contrary to how the system of the world is. The system of the world uh, honors and rewards those who are powerful, uh, those who achieve greatness, no matter how many people they step on to get there. And, and Jesus comes along and says, the first will be last and the last will be first. Uh, Jesus brings this upside-down kingdom uh, into the empire of the world. But it pleases God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. And I love how Paul follows this after stating the fact that he didn't come preaching with uh, words of eloquent wisdom so that the cross of Christ isn't emptied of its power. I mean, you think about it, if, if preaching the gospel, if simply preaching the gospel with enough wisdom, with enough eloquence, uh, with enough finesse and following all of the principles of TED Talks and delivering this perfect presentation, if that got people to believe the gospel, the focus isn't the gospel. The focus is, well, that was a really good presentation. Who can say no to it? And so the fact that God delights to take a foolish message from often inarticulate people, prime example, and use that to bring salvation the focus now is not on the messenger. The focus is completely upon the message of the cross. Verse 22 picks up and says, For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom. Those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And notice there how he says that Jews want a sign. And the funny thing about a sign is a sign can be forgotten. Uh, a sign can be trumped. Um, you, you see one sign that says, wow, you know, I clearly I have to believe in God. But then when something more powerful seems to happen in your life, then you're going to be swayed in that direction. Uh, <clears throat> the Greeks, the Gentiles seek wisdom. Um, well, you know, if I give a very wise, and, and here's, let me go back to the original point. If I can create the most flawless gospel presentation that cannot be refuted by the person I'm talking to, and I get them to make a decision for Jesus, what happens when they encounter somebody else who gives a more persuasive argument? And now they're swayed to that person's 
point of view. So if it depends on signs, if it depends on uh, articulate wisdom, the next day something more profound can draw their attention, something more persuasive can draw their attention. Uh, but it all comes down to the power of the gospel itself. Again, verse 25, For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And so I think we should find great comfort in that, in that God isn't looking just to communicate the good news of Jesus through the most intelligent, through the most persuasive, through the most articulate, uh, through the most gifted. Um, you think about Israel, and why did God choose Israel? God chose Israel not because they were the most powerful nation, not because they were the most impressive. He chose them because they were a ragtag bunch of desert dwellers. They had nothing in themselves. And so the fact that they're winning all these victories, clearly not because of them, but because of the God they serve. And so here comes Paul saying, look, if I'm not the brightest, I'm not the most eloquent, but the fact that my preaching brings decision, brings conversion, is a simple testimony to the power of God and the power of the gospel. And you even think about some of the great preachers of the past century, and it's not always the most articulate. I spoke a, I spoke, I taught a public speaking class for the Moody Bible Institute uh, in its Cleveland Extension campus, and at the start of each class, I would play a brief audio clip of different preachers and allow the class to analyze what was seen as good about the preacher and his communication, what was distracting or what could be improved upon. And one week I played an audio from A.W. Tozer. And A.W. Tozer is very well known for his books. A.W. Tozer is not as well known today for his sermons, uh, unless they're in book form. Because if you listen to a Tozer sermon, whew, if you've never done it, Go on YouTube and look up some A.W. Tozer sermons, him actually preaching. Uh, the first couple of minutes will probably turn you off. Uh, his voice, his pace, uh, nothing about it is intriguing. So why was he so used of God? Because of the message that he brought. It had nothing to do with the messenger, but it had everything to do with the message. And so there's great encouragement for us. No matter who we are, no matter how uneducated we feel, no matter how unarticulate we feel, no matter how unimpressive we think we are, that's exactly the kind of person God's looking for to use. Think about the 12 apostles. They're fishermen, mostly. It wasn't because they were the most religiously qualified. God's not looking for that. He's looking for open and available hearts to work through so that in our weakness, he can be seen as strong. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you so much for watching, for listening, uh, whether live or later on. Either way, uh, thank you so much. Uh, I pray that our time of the Word together has been a blessing to you. And Lord willing, we'll see you back here next time uh, for our next midweek devotion. Until then, God bless you.